Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Medical Aid Podcast, episode number eight. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Darshan Shah. Dr. Shah is a resident in physical medicine and rehabilitation. He is also a TEDx speaker and is the host of a podcast called Medicine Redefined. His podcast has over 60 episodes and is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode. How has your day been going, Dr. Shah? Hey, Tris. Yeah, first of all, thank, uh, thanks so much for having me on here. Um, it's really cool, you know, to see what you're doing as a high schooler, um, given, given the voice to a lot of pre-med students out there by bringing, us, uh, by bringing the doctors um, to them. My day's been going well. I can't complain, man. Um, ever since last year doing intern year and now being a PM&R resident, you know, it's a big, big difference. So my days are much, much better. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So to start off this episode, can you tell us a little bit about your education, like where you went for undergrad and where you went for medical school? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up right outside of Philadelphia. Um, and so I went to Temple University for undergrad and I was actually initially in their seven year accelerated med program. So, you know, complete your undergrad in three to four years and then you go, you know, if you meet the requirements, the MCAT GPA, you go straight to Temple University Medical School. However, I got the MCAT score. I did not get the GPA. You know, I missed the GPA cutoff by 0.02. And so that led me to kind of be in a whirlwind and figure out, oh my God, what do I do now? You know, my, I, everything was set in stone. I thought I was going to go straight into medical school. What happens now? Right. So I applied and didn't get in, you know, in my junior year, I applied again, my senior year didn't get in. And now I was on my third time applying and that forced me to take two gap years. So I did a bunch of stuff during those two, uh, those two years off. And then eventually finally got off the wait list, um, at Virginia, um, college of osteopathic medicine, uh, down in Blacksburg, Virginia. So I ended up going there 2016 and then, you know, graduated 2020, matched into physical medicine and rehabilitation at Penn State Hershey, where I also did my intern year. And currently I'm a second year resident. Great. And can you tell us a little bit about the field of physical medicine and rehabilitation? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one of those fields that many, many even pre-medical students don't know about. Um, and honestly, even some attendings might be like, I actually have no idea what PM&R does. So physical medicine and rehab, short for, you know, the short form is PM and R. So I like to talk about the, I'd like to break it up in two separate sections, the physical medicine and then the rehabilitation. So the rehabilitation is kind of easier to understand because I think it's what most people are familiar with. So when you watch TV, right, and you see an ad of like a wounded soldier on the parallel bars trying to walk, right? That's our typical patient almost, right? In the, in the right. inpatient setting. So we are really trying to take patients who undergo surgery, uh, orthopedic, you know, brain injury, spinal cord, stroke, and the inpatient side, and we're the kind of leaders and the guide of their medical issues, right? Just because they're out of the hospital doesn't mean that all their issues are suddenly gone, right? People still have diabetes and COPD and heart failure, and you know, maybe they went under underwent an amputation or a bacterial infection. So we're essentially those doctors in the inpatient setting taking care of those patients medically and so we work with physical therapy we work with occupational therapy speech therapy social work and our goal is to get them as functional as possible right so they might not make it back to where they were pre-morbid but now we have the opportunity to optimize their function optimize their lifestyle so that's the rehab portion the physical medicine portion is kind of a combination of neurology so a lot of nervous system peripheral nervous system mixed with musculoskeletal medicine so sports medicine pain medicine and, you know a lot of people joke if, if uh, neurology and orthopedics had a baby you would kind of get pm and r mm -hmm. um so 
that out that's more kind of on the outpatient side of things the physical medicine and so you know there's a spectrum that can go all the way from very heavy procedure intervention which would probably be more like pain medicine and then you have the other side of the spectrum which is more sports medicine but then you have the middle which is like sports and spine and you know your practice can be anywhere on that spectrum and then there's so many different other things you can do there's cancer rehabilitation movement disorder um you can specialize in whatever you kind of want and that's the beauty of physical medicine rehab got it and what do you usually do in your day as a resident in pmndr <laughs> Yeah, so it really depends. Again, there's so much variety. So it really depends on what rotation you're on, right? So mm-hmm. most second year residents in PM&R will be doing a bunch of inpatient, right? So there's spinal cord injury, there's stroke, there's general, and there's uh TBI or traumatic brain injury. Now, essentially you're it's kind of like the medicine wars. You you get there in the morning, you round with your attending, um you're trying to see what you can do to optimize the patient not only medically but also functionally, right? So we're not only just thinking about the science of what's going on in their body and the physiology we're also looking at okay when they go home are things set up uh are they able to now lift more weight with physical therapy are they making good progress is their speech better right so these are things that we're kind of looking at um and then you know once noon to 1 o'clock hits you're kind of just prepping admits for whoever comes that uh night so there's a good amount of turnover in rehab right i mean we're seeing a sicker and sicker population uh in america especially and we're seeing a lot more people need rehab and those people who need rehab are typically now sicker um so i mean you're still dealing with a stable population but there's definitely sick patients and then on the outpatient so currently i'm on clinic so today it really just depends on which attending you rotate with so today i was with our interventionalist so i got to do a lot of botox for migraines spasticity we did some genicular nerve blocks which is like knee, uh nerves in the knee got to block those with lidocaine uh we did trigger point injections for muscles And then if I work with other attendings, you know, I might be in the brain clinic, I might be in a spasticity clinic, uh, I might be in a stroke clinic. So it really just depends. Awesome. And what is the path to becoming a physical medicine and rehabilitation doctor? Sure. So I think most people, you know, already know that you get your bachelor's in undergrad, then you go to four years of medical school. What's different about PM&R is that your intern year is something that can be is that is usually not attached to PM&R. So for instance, if you are applying to internal medicine or family medicine, you're going to do all three of your years at one place. Now that's possible in physical medicine rehab. Those programs are called categorical programs, which means your first year that intern year is attached to where you're going to be doing PM&R. But a lot of places are advanced, which means you only do your second year to your fourth year at that PM&R residency and you have to figure out your first year. So now, but what does that mean, right? So your first year, you have to apply for either preliminary internal medicine, preliminary surgery or do a transitional year. What I find is, you know, most PM&R residents end up doing a intern year in internal medicine, which is what I did. Um and then you transition to wherever you're going to go for that second year. And there's a four-year residency altogether. Got it. Okay. And how did you manage your workload in medical school medical school and residency? Yeah, so medical school I'll, I definitely tell people in the oddball out. So I do a lot of coaching for students, medical students, things like that. And I always get this question, how do you optimize like work life balance, right? And I like to think of it as they're not really separate. I mean, I think that leads to more unhappiness when you when you put up a strict border. So I like to think about how can you integrate your work and life together? But one of the things I realized at least in medical school is there's a lot of study, right? There's a lot of study and the volume's a lot. And a lot of people get sucked into that to the point where when all they do is study, they have 
no more willpower or desire to do any of the other hobbies or things or passions that they love to do. And for me, I realized, what if I flipped it around? What if in the beginning of the day, I first did the things I loved? So that's what I did. I read, I went to the gym, I tried to learn like Spanish, I would meditate, I would meal prep, I would do the things that fulfilled my cup. Because I realized, if I even when I do those things, if I don't choose to study, I'm not going to pass medical school, right? So that willpower is already going to be there to study because you know that you have to complete whatever those four or five, six hours to study in order to pass the exam. So I always tell students, you know, sometimes it's worth flipping it around, taking care of yourself first and realizing that, hey, you're going to get the work done. I mean, that's that's ingrained in you. That's the reason why you're in medical school. But if you if you do the work first sometimes and then go to your passions, if you don't really find a solution. So that's really how I pride myself. I mean, even in residency, uh, I have a lot of side hustles. As you mentioned, I have a podcast. So I try to fit it all together. You know, I don't I, you know, I'm not going to say I put 150% effort into my residency because that would just burn me out. So you really have to pick and choose which days are you, you know, going to focus strictly on your residency, strictly, strictly focus on PM&R, which days are you saying, okay, this is a little bit easier. I can spend most of my work now doing the podcast or, you know, working on my coaching business or, you know, whatever it might be. So that's kind of how I think of it. Got it. I think that's great advice because I've actually never heard that advice from any other interviews that I did. So I think it's awesome that you bring in that perspective. And what would you say is the most rewarding thing about being a doctor? Oh, this is tough. I mean, I think everyone's going to have their own individual answer, which is why we typically all go to medical school for different reasons. You know, I think everyone has the underlying, I want to help people. For me personally, I would say, Ever since I was younger, I loved creating value for others that I had no idea, right? Like that I, that I didn't know. They were complete strangers. And that's what I love about medicine is that people come in, you know, these patients come in, you don't know them, but right off the bat, there's this instant connection because they trust you as their doctor. They know that you can help them. They're looking for guidance and there's this immediate rapport. And creating that connection, that value is, is something that can't really be explained in many other fields, right? Mm -hmm. And as I was rotating in uh, GI last year, one of the attendings was like, you know, medicine's an awesome field because you get a thank you every single day. Every single day, you'll get a thank you, no matter how crappy your day is, no matter (laughs) how many bad patients, quote unquote bad patients you see, or angry patients you see, you'll get a thank you, right? And so it's very rewarding in that sense. Now, obviously there's a whole side of the spectrum where it's like, so much bad stuff with medicine that's going on with burnout rates and stuff but if you're gonna ask about rewarding that's what i would say got it and as a resident how many hours do you work every week and do you have to ever work longer during holidays like thanksgiving or christmas yeah so my intern year i was probably averaging around 70 to 80 hours a week right it's a lot tougher and again i mean there's now rules and restrictions uh in residency under the you know uh, American College of Graduate Medical Education. So they do restrict your hours to a certain amount. Um, PM&R, so the, the running joke is that PM&R stands for plenty of money and relaxation. <laughs> so it's known to be one of more like the chiller specialties. And so now I, because of the residency location that I'm at too, right? So PM&R really much varies between different residencies. Where I'm at at Penn State is a lot more chill. So I'm probably working about 40 to 55 hours a week, which is, you know, a lot better than doing 70 to 80. Um, And then my call schedule is pretty nice. It's once every eight weekdays. Uh, I have almost every weekend free. So last year, 
So there's these concepts called golden weekends, right, in, in medicine. And a golden weekend means you have a Saturday and a Sunday off. Mm -hmm. So when you explain this to non-medical people, they're like, so you mean a normal weekend? And you're like, no, 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 this right. is a golden weekend. Like, mm -hmm. it's special. So last year, I probably only had six golden weekends, maybe, you know, six to eight golden weekends as an intern. This year, I'm probably only working six weekends. So it's like That's a complete 180. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot nicer. The field is nice in that way. Um, it's a big reason why I chose it too. You know, I don't want to be someone who defines themselves strictly as a doctor and spends, you know, most of my life in a hospital or something. Mm -hmm. Great. And many people consider taking a gap year or more than a gap year before applying for medical school. Do you think that's useful? And if so, why? Yeah, 100%. I tell every single student, regardless of your statistics, if you think you're going to get in the first year or not to take a gap year. Um, the average age of a medical student now is 25, right? It used to be 22, 23, but it's getting up there to 25. And I think it's because most medical admissions committees are looking to see diversity and they're looking to see if you really know you want to do medicine, right? The burnout rate is high. The attrition rate is getting higher. And you'll find that the people who typically quote unquote do better in medical school or have less of a rough time are ones who've taken gap years because they start to understand the bigger perspective on what medicine means, how to get through it. They have more experience. And the biggest thing I'd say is your gap years are a time for you to learn more about yourself. It's a time to have a growth mindset, personally develop um, and learn emotional intelligence, social intelligence. I mean, the brain doesn't fully mature until you're 25, right? In terms of future planning. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes like for you, you're a junior in high school and you're already thinking medical school, but you know, I always tell my students who are like 18 to 20 to 21 years old, like the life you're thinking now of a doctor is going to be very different than when you're actually an attending physician at the age of, you know, 31, 32, 33. Mm -hmm. So in order to have that foresight and kind of think the brain takes time and it doesn't mature until 25. And, you know, your, your twenties are a golden, like are the golden years. It's a time to enjoy. It's the time where you're going to grow the most, have experiences, go travel, learn about yourself. But if you just go strictly to medical school, in my personal opinion, you're kind of not allowing yourself to grow, you know, the most, because you're going to be stuck in a system, in a medical education. There's no more like, quote unquote, great vacations that you can take. You're always working. Mm -hmm. um, and sorry to go back on your original question in terms of holidays. With my schedule, I only have to work one holiday um, per my residency, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I 100% I recommend gap years for that reason. I mean, it, it was a blessing that I didn't get into Temple University right away, you know, go straight into it after those three to four years. And those two years are kind of where I learned my passions for medicine, making me realize why I wanted to do it, what type of doctor I wanted to be, how I wanted to practice. Um, and it, it really made a world of a difference. And I find that most people who take gap years don't regret it. But there are some people who don't take gap years and will regret it, right? So it's kind of a safer decision to, mm -hmm. to take gap years, yeah. Awesome. And I also noticed that you created a podcast called Medicine Redefined, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. How did you get the idea for this podcast? And do you have any advice for someone starting a podcast in general? It doesn't have to be related to medicine or science. Yeah, sure. It's funny you mentioned that. I was thinking today earlier to make a tweet on uh, podcast tips. So <laughs> I guess I'll throw them on here too. So Medicine Redefined, how did it start? So I was going to Baltimore to Johns Hopkins for a residency interview. And my co-host was actually a resident there. And we met at a conference um, and 
we aligned in the way we think about medicine, right? I think right now the healthcare system is very broken. It's very much focused on acute, getting patients in and out and not really preventative medicine, lifestyle medicine. And so um, our goal is to focus on telling good information, like getting good information to pay, not only patients, but also practitioners about other doctors that are thinking outside the box, lifestyle medicine, integrative medicine, functional medicine, and looking at the data, evidence-based medicine, and looking at preventative medicine, seeing, hey, what are we doing wrong? Like, what can we really do to our patients and think about these concepts such as sleep, stress, the gut microbiome, cardiovascular health and cholesterol, lipidology, um, and, you know, the list goes on. And so, you know, I think it was November of 2020, my co-host was like, hey, man, do you, uh, you just kind of want to do a podcast? And I was like, I'm the type of person who just says yes, and then we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll kind of see where it goes. And yeah. I mean, like you said, 60 episodes. So we're definitely uh, being consistent. We've made awesome networking, you know, opportunities. We met a lot of cool doctors that we didn't think we would. Um, we're just healthcare practitioners in general. So it's been it's been awesome um, kind of starting that. And, you know, as far as advice goes with podcasts, the biggest well, let me just list it out. The first thing I would say is, you know, you don't need anything fancy, right? You can kind of just get started. That's my number one thing is just start. I think too often, if it's podcast or just any type of project or side hustle, people are waiting for the perfect opportunity, right? They're waiting right. for their skill set to get perfect, the timing to be perfect, get the right guest. It's, it's, you're, it's never going to be perfect, right? You just have to start and you build momentum and you build on that and you start to get better, right? So it's not about perfect. It's about how to get better. The second thing I would say is systems are very important. Learning how to create a system. So early on when uh, my co-host Altamash and I started, you know, we were just drafting an email every time we wanted to, you know, have a guest. And we started realizing, wait, if we're drafting the same email. Why don't we create a draft so we can just copy and paste it every time? Mm -hmm. Why don't we create a Calendly so people know they're booking? Why don't we have a guest release form? Why don't we, you know, so you start to put systems to make your process more efficient. So that's kind of the second thing I'd say. The third thing I'd say is, you know, learning to be flexible, um, learning that not every guest of yours will be a great guest. Um, not every guest of yours will make it on time. And that's okay. I mean, that's part of the business, right? Of, of having right. a podcast is being flexible. And you, you learn that, you know, through it, and it really helps. Um, and then the fourth thing I'd say is, you know, make sure you have backup options, you know, with technology, there's so many things that can go wrong, especially in today's world, because everyone's trying to fight for the best, right? And when you do that, and quickly develop new technologies, there are bugs, there are loopholes, there are things that are going to go wrong. So if your audio is not working, oh no, have a backup audio. You know, if the screen's not working, try to figure out how you can have a backup. So I think those things kind of just make it smooth. And just to realize as my last tip that you, you have to do something that you're passionate about, right? I think too many people focus on what does the audience want? What does the audience want? And you can't please everyone. You cannot please everybody. But if you please yourself, you're being authentic and that's definitely pleasing everyone, you know, in the best way. So if you're authentic with your podcast, you love to spread information, you're going to find the people who want to listen to it, right? And I think it's just about creating value. How can you create value? How can you have fun? And how can you network, leverage those opportunities um, and grow from it? Great advice. And to wrap up this episode, what is one thing that you wish you would have known before going into medical school? Oh, man, that's a loaded question. <laughs> so one thing I wish I knew was like lifestyle medicine, integrative medicine, that it all kind of existed and that to reach out to mentors early on and to just get guidance early on and figure out kind of how I wanted to practice. Now, obviously, every pre-med going into medical school doesn't know what they want to do. Um, but the one thing I would say is shadowing, shadowing attendings, shadowing residents and asking them specifically 
hey, what do you think about my plan? Is this possible? Right? Because I wrote this tweet that actually went viral on Instagram that uh, pre-meds don't know what medical school is like. Med students don't know what residency is like. And residents don't know what attending life is like. And so if you put it all together, pre-meds have no idea what medicine is like, right? And that's an issue that leads to burnout, at least a systemic failure, at least to why our healthcare system is so broken. Um, and it leads to the burnout and why so many pre-meds end up realizing and telling other pre-meds don't go down this route. You know what I mean? So I think it takes time and I would, I would, I would encourage people to open their minds, right? I wish I wasn't a science major. I wish I didn't uh, apply, was in a seven year, eight year BSMD program. I wish I would thinking outside the box, expanded my knowledge. And then if I chose medicine in the end, cool, I, I can still do it because trust me, orgo is not really going to help you. Physics is going to help you. Math, bio, like whatever. These are all just prereqs. They're not really going to make you a better doctor. Right. But having being a history major, an econ major, having something cool underneath your belt uh, will make you at least more experienced, more knowledgeable, a more interesting person. So those are definitely kind of the things that I wish I knew. Um, but hey, everything kind of happens for a reason. And so mm-hmm. you just got to learn from it and keep growing. Got it. And that question concludes this episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Shaw, for coming on to the Medicaid podcast. I know that you're really busy and it truly means a lot for you to stop by. I hope everyone listening has learned a lot about being a resident in PM and R and medical school in general. If you would like to check out Dr. Shaw's Instagram page, it will be linked in the description of this episode. Once again, thank you, doctor, for stopping by. And I hope everyone listening has a great rest of their day and see you guys next time.